0: concerns and anxiety as as remedy, and we are going to be looking at what God has to say uh, about uh, concerns and how to keep them from going into anxiety, and it does come down to what is our authority, a letter A there in your notes, what is our authority, and and we all operate out of authority, of we believe what we believe, but where would you get that from? it's a technical term called epistemology, is where did, where did you get your truth from? Uh, you know, well, I was shopping around and found truth everywhere. And and it's very popular for people to go, oh, you know, all truth is God's truth. There's truth everywhere out there. And you'll find people, and they go shopping. It's like the Golden Corral kind of thing, is I'll take a little of this, I'll take a little of that. This is a big one, intuition. They'll say, well, I... I I just think this is true. My feelings are what's true. If I feel like I'm a woman, I'm a woman. If you can define a woman. But feelings, uh, intuition, uh, when you look at the dictionary of this, uh, truth originates and is verified from within. Truth originates, and is verified from within you. You're the one who came up with it. You're the one who verifies it. Then you have philosophy, psychology, and even psychiatry. Uh, This is just people trying to uh, study other people and answer questions. Even psychiatry, they're not practicing neurology. They're, They're trying to figure out why people are doing what they're doing. So philosophy, psychology, it's more of a soft science. It's just observing people. Now some studies are maybe a little bit more research-based, but uh, overall it's unsafe people studying unsafe people and telling us what's normal. You know the chief psychiatrist, the chief psychiatrist, chief editor of the DSM-4, Dr. Alan Francis, he wrote a book called Saving Normal. It was a bestseller. And he said, We can't even define what a disorder is. We don't even know what normal is. And this is the chief psychiatrist of the large Bible of psychiatry, all the disorders in there. He's saying, We can't even define a disorder. And we don't even know what normal is. You go, Boy, that's scary. Now, he's marginalized now for writing that and coming out with his views. He's just being honest with integrity, but he really, they've marginalized him uh, dramatically, really, in the past um, probably 10 years. He lives out in California, but they have pushed him aside quickly because the pharmaceutical firms are pretty angry at him. Uh, and he won after the whole pharmaceutical companies for targeting children. With high powered meds, age four and up, uh, when their brains and bodies are developing and they're just putting them on these high powered meds. Uh, and uh, one physician at a church near us, he's a uh, Harvard trained physician, he says, You don't even have a chemical imbalance until you start taking those meds. Uh, then it just starts overruling and controlling, uh, especially at children. So Dr. Alan Francis spoke up about that, and oof, he was, um, yeah, we understand the the cancel culture today. Hard science, this is the more of the empirical research, uh, double-blind crossover tests. They go, oh, I, I go to hard science and find truth. Whatever the, the hard science, you know, the ones who do real detailed study, if they say something, then I, we believe it. And, you know, we're thankful for a lot of hard science. I'm thankful for things that they've developed and um, as far as man can go, uh, I'm thankful for that. But even hard science can change. Uh, One year I was teaching about, um, well, my dad had several heart attacks. That's where I developed uh, genetically the different issues going on in my own heart. Uh, And... Uh, he raised his hand, and he said, oh yeah, He said, uh, it's changed in his, he was an EMT, so he would show up on scenes when people's hearts were stopped, and he said, we used to just shoot adrenaline right straight into their heart. And that was the science of the day. And he said, but we don't do that anymore, because it was putting people in comas, uh, that was going to their brain and putting them in comas, and many were dying, not because it got their heart started, but then their brain, and then they died. He says, oh, we don't do that anymore. We have other, uh, so science, hard science. We're thankful for it, but it 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 changes. And then the Bible. Then you'll find people go, oh, yeah, I find some truth in the Bible. And you'll just find people shopping around, and their life is being lived based on various authorities in their life. And so they just say, well, all truth, God truth, um, and whenever I'm counseling or meeting with people, I want to know where they get that from? Where, where, where are they getting their beliefs from? They, people feel very strongly about things. Where would you get that from? What's your authority? But when God gave us authority, and you have this diagram in your notes, is God gave us truth, if it's true, he gave us truth in descending order of authority and certainty. It's not all equal. All truth out there is not equal in authority and certainty. Truth, God gave us truth, I mean in in some areas, it comes in descending levels of certainty and authority. The most certain and authoritative level is God's word. How certain is it? A hundred percent. How authoritative is it? 100%. If God speaks, it's true. Let God be true and all men be found to be a liar. It doesn't matter if stats say 99.9% of humanity. It doesn't matter. God's word is absolute truth. It's objective. It's outside of us. So we study it and we read it and we submit to it because it's God-breathed, it's God's word. Now you drop way down to hit hard science, the hard empirical method of science. I mean, we're, it's just a whole nother atmosphere here. I mean, you drop way down. It's the best man can come up with uh, on their own. Now, remember, you don't discover revelation. God reveals it. It's, he's revealed his word. But science, as people do all of their studies, but thankful for it. Um, It's more objective than some other forms of people finding truth. But it changes. It's not as reliable. It's not as certain. It's not as authoritative as God's word. Then you drop down to a whole other lower level of psychology. This is just man observing man. Uh, they get interpretations wrong. They get solutions wrong. You say, how authoritative is it? It's 500 of them out there. You know, we don't have 500 ways to get to the moon. It's not a hard science. It's just speculation. And then people go, well, you know, I think why people do this is this. And I think this is why. And it's man observing man. Um, And then trying to tell us what's normal, but you can't define normal. So soft science. The worst level of certainty and authority is intuition. The lowest level of objectivity. It's all subjective. I came up with it. How I feel is most important. This is the culture that we live in today. We live in a subjective culture. Some of you have maybe read Carl Truman's book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. But even years before that, David Wells, in a book called The Courage to be Protestant, wrote this. He said, a revolution began back in the 1960s. Unnoticed at the time, it was a turn toward the self. All turning... Some, some of us remember those days in the 60s. He said, this is the heart of the whole postmodern rebellion. It turned away from meaning that's fixed and universal and turned toward meaning that is private and subjective. It shifted from absolute moral norms to those that are simply private. If it's right for you. It rejected the Enlightenment's confidence in naturalistic reason and began to think more in terms of intuitions and to give greater weight to feelings. He says, Today we traffic in the illogical and irrational without skipping a beat or wincing. We do not trust the mind, we lean far more confidently on the emotions. So that's why today, which would have been absurd when I was growing up, if someone said, if I feel like I'm a woman, I'm a woman. If I feel like I'm a man, I'm a man. And I might feel differently each each and every day. I might be a man in the morning, might be a woman. at the. I mean, growing up, that would have been absolutely insane. But today, and there will be psychologists and others that will support that. But you know the hard scientists would say, absolutely not. You're male or female. Uh, even at John Hopkins Hospital, where they first started doing the whole transition sexual operations, they don't do that anymore. They said, That's a, it's a mental problem, it's not a physiological problem. And they stopped. So even the hard science would say, no, 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 you're male or female. Don't even talk about being transsexual um, you're one or the other. You're not. You can't move from one to the other. So they're rejecting and our cultures, rejecting the Bible, right? Suppressing the Bible and the truth of, of righteousness in Christ. They're, they suppress that, as Romans one says. They're even suppressing hard science. So intuition reigns, subjectivity reigns, and then psychologists come up behind it and say, "Oh, we'll support you if you pay us." I mean, we'll support you. That's, that's our culture. That's where we're living in uh, when we're counseling people and they come in and they're, they're dealing with different issues. I just want to know sort of that chart. That's why I put it in your notes. Where, where are you at? You know, they speak with such authority. Yeah, but where's the authority uh, resting at? Where, where, where's the, the uh, origin of that? And that can be really helpful when you're ministering to people. And even with anxiety, just go, where's the origin? I'm thinking something. Yeah. Where's the source of truth there? Well, I feel something, so it's true. Ooh, that's not good. That's the worst level. Let's go up to what God has to say. Let God be true and every man be found a liar. Just Let's put God you know, in our minds. Let's put him there, his word. Let's read it. Let's submit to it. Not vote on it, not look down on his word, but let's sit underneath it in submission. So that's just what is our authority. Then God recognizes typical human concerns. And I listed some of the areas. God recognizes physical issues. He, even in Matthew 6, when I read that earlier, uh, he recognizes, well, you're going to eat or drink. Um, uh, he recognizes, oh, I... I Can I add an hour to my lifespan? He recognizes relational concerns. Uh, In Luke chapter 10, you don't need to turn there, but he uses the word concern again, but in the worrisome way. In Luke chapter 10, there's Martha and Mary. And Martha's having some trouble with her sister Mary. It says in verse 38, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She was, uh, and he's going to hit right at the anxious and uh, worrying in a minute. So she's distracted with much serving. That's huge. Hospitality is huge in that culture. And she went about up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious. There's the word you're worrying and you're troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You almost catch the scene that Jesus is teaching sort of in their living room. Mary's sitting there, and she's busy. right? Busy, which one was busy? Both were busy. Mary was busy about the right thing. Martha was busy about the wrong thing. Being busy is good. You just want to be busy about responsibilities. And when when Jesus is in your living room and he's teaching, you sit there. And you say, yeah, but what about food and hospitality? He can make food. And you know what? Martha had witnessed that. Martha, earlier, Jesus turned water into wine. And she witnessed that. So she and her uh, sister Mary, they've seen the Lord perform miracles. He can handle this. If, uh, I can't make lunch. So I will end at 11 uh, 45 because I can't make lunch. But he could make food. So she she was distracted. Her concern went distraction um and her responsibility she wasn't doing what she was responsible to do and that really was to sit there and listen to jesus and mary did that so even relational issues you know don't you care and all the relational he never even answered that he never even said sure i care about you he's the lord he's the most compassionate caring individual perfect in caring and loving he didn't even answer that it was manipulation and you don't answer manipulators. You just tell them that's your responsibility and God's responsible. Just get busy doing what you're responsible. Don't, you don't have to answer uh, whether you care. Everybody else is doing it. And You just don't go there with manipulators. You just say, this is what your responsibility is. This is what my responsibility is and God's responsibility. Just go do what you're supposed to do. And so you see Jesus deal with that, the whole issue there of relational concerns, uh, future concerns. Uh, What about tomorrow and what about next week? In James chapter 4, you can plan. You can plan for tomorrow. You can plan for next week. You can plan for your retirement. You can plan. But add Lord willing. If the Lord wills, I'll do this tomorrow. If the Lord wills, I'll do this next week or next month or uh, in the years to come. You do not. Plan as if you are God. There's no vacancy in the Trinity here. You can't move in and say, next week, this is exactly what I'm going to do. No, I'll plan, but it's always Lord willing. He may change your whole next week. COVID really shut a lot of things down, didn't it? I mean, people had all kinds of plans. All kinds of scheduled trips and all kinds of things. Well, God had other plans. This was part of God's plan. You realize that. Uh, all things, Ephesians one eleven. all things work together. I mean, this is God working. Everything works according to his plan and counsel. And he's working to, for our good and his glory. And even heavy burdens. He addresses that. You go, boy, there's so many things that burden me down. This is what the Lord says. Jesus addresses these kind of concerns. Matthew eleven. And these were burdened down with n- numerous regulations. Uh, the religious leaders were putting more things on the people. You've got to do this, you can't do this. On the Lord's Day, you can't do and they, had, they had hundreds and hundreds of extra rules. And the Lord says to these people, just burdened down with concerns. Verse 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, that's good news. I mean, that would just be um, like an oasis in the desert to hear words like that when you are so heavy burdened. Well God exposes the true source of the problem of anxiety as I said the world calls it nature and nurture only but the Lord uh and in his word says yes there there is nature and nurture families do have influential uh, effect on your life some of you more than others my wife was uh grew up in an, an abusive situation uh, her home was um, it was just unsaved. It was very um, wretched. It was just an awful place, lots of conflict, divorce, and et cetera. That's the home she was raised in. I was raised in the opposite. So did her upbringing, did it influence her? Yes. Every Everybody's home life growing up has influenced you. But it doesn't determine us. It doesn't make us who we are. We, we respond, and God holds us responsible for choosing of how we're going to respond to all those things. So there is nurture, uh, is an influential factor, and so is nature. How your body works or doesn't work influences you. So there are influential, for sure, nature and nurture. But they're not determinative, and it's not all there is to us. So there is, mostly, it's in Scripture, it's from the heart. Uh, If you have your Bible there, let's go to Proverbs 4.23. A very familiar verse to many of you. This is what God says about the most important thing. He says, above all else, Proverbs 4.23, the word order in the original, is above all out, or with all vigilance. comes right at the beginning. Keep your heart. This is the inner man now, the real you. The intellectual soul center of man is called the heart. Keep that heart. Guard it. For from it flow the springs of life. Huh. Um, Our whole secular society misses that. What's most important is what comes from within you. Not from outside, not your body, not nurture. It's what comes from within you. The Bible calls it the heart of man. If you go to the other passage, I think I put there uh, Matthew 15, it's sort of the New Testament. When Jesus is talking about, he's like he's this the Proverbs four twenty three, but in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter fifteen, starting at verse ten, he said and he called uh, the people to him and said to them, hear and understand, it, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it's what comes out of the mouth. Uh, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person for out of the heart well, this is interesting. out of the heart come evil thoughts murder adultery sexual immorality theft false witness and slander these are what defile a person but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Well, wow, that was radical. That's like the Lord saying in our society, it's not nature and nurture, it's the heart. Imagine that in our society. You're not going to fix the heart by nature and nurture. The heart's the problem. And that's what the Lord wants to address. It's mostly all from the heart. That's where worship goes on. That's what really drives us. Out of the heart flow the springs of life. That's what's motivating me. It's from within the heart. And you have idolatry that can go on in the heart. In Ezekiel chapter 14, you don't need to turn there. I'm just going to read a section. It's a little snapshot in in the narrative of God's word. And he's talking about people who are bowing down and worshiping idols. I mean, they were sacrificing their children to these uh, idols. We understood that. That's 500 years of it in the Old Testament. But then the Lord says... God says to Ezekiel, a prophet, he said, And certain of the uh, leaders of Israel came to me and sat before me, uh, Ezekiel says, And the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces, should I indeed let myself be consulted by them. Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with a multitude of his idols that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel who are all estranged from me through their idols. And why would God be interested in helping to correct this problem with these people? Verse 11. That the house of Israel may no more go astray from me, nor defile themselves any more with all their transgressions. This, is God, this has been on God's heart all the way in the Old Testament through the New. That they may be my people and I may be their God, declares the Lord. You'll see that even in the end of the book of Revelation. He wants to be our God and He wants us to be His people. And he sees when we start worshiping and more, uh, people, other things are more important than him in our life, we get involved in some idolatrous living from our own hearts. And that, we start worrying. Is this going to work? Is that going to work? Is, is, am I going to lose this? And that becomes more important than what does God think? And where is God at in, in my life? So it can look something like this, where I, I want to be safe. Uh, I remember one particular lady who says, I don't fly anywhere because um, I need to be safe. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about her at the, the last session, uh, her situation. But we want to be secure. You get into OCD. I, I want to be safe, secure. I want everything to be certain. Perfection. There are people who just, man, I I, I want everything to be just right the way I want it to be. Or my image, uh, I want to look a certain way, appear a certain way. A lot of the eating disorders can be fall into some of these different things here, of looking a certain way, appear a certain way. Man's approval is huge. Uh, um, I want people to think of me, I don't want to do anything that they w- might not think well of me. The fear of man. And so we get anxious. It's a concern that goes to anxiety. Man's approval or control. Oh, man, I want to control. I want to control people and circumstances. It's common. These are just common desires of a heart that can go into that, that worry and fear. And then also peace, comfort. These aren't the only things that you can begin worshiping. And it all goes to self. I want to control things because I want them. The middle letter of sin is I. I want and I think. And it won't go well. It's anti-God. It's anti-relational. It's anti-rational to sin. What's most rational, most relational, is what does God say? And do what he says. So sin separates us, and then we get worried and fearful and anger, so you can see that. And you know, sometimes we know there are certain desires that are sinful, but you know, sometimes it's good desires can go and turn sinful. For example, you can have desires like this that we know are sinful, like desire to murder someone. Yeah, that's a, that's a sinful desire. But there are other things that are the concerns, for like food. But you can get sinful about how much you eat. Right, Gluttony would be a sin. But we, we need to eat. Uh, you can find some other things, for example, uh, talents, family. Some people, Family's great, but you can worship family. Everything can be all about family. For me to live is family. Uh, that's problematic. The, a lot of these... Even good desires and good concerns can, in their right place, are fine and handle them rightly. But they start moving over onto the throne, and now you're bowing down to them. Now it's false worship, it's idolatry. And so what I just read there in Ezekiel 14 is some of those other things were moving over, and when you have, you know, who's on the throne? and it ends up being self on the throne, and this is what I want. This is what pleases me, this is what brings glory to me, rather than what is going to bring glory to God. He created us, He wants us to be His people. It's the best thing for us to worship and serve Him, be rightly related to Him. So man's futile attempts, man's futile attempts, Ephesians chapter two, man, because boy, we've really messed up. We'll fix it, you know. We'll just do right, and then God will be pleased with us. Well, Ephesians, the Lord tells us in chapter two, verses eight and nine, He says, "For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. You you didn't make this happen. You couldn't fix it." It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works, not your works. And back in Isaiah, it says, your works are like filthy rags before God so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Um, Man tries to work, let's fix this situation that we're in, all the problems going on, the disobedience, enslaved to various pleasures, addictions, relational problems, angry with people. They're angry with us. I compare it much to the Titanic. It's like you're on the Titanic in this kind of a situation. And uh, on this boat, this is man trying to fix his way. What therapy? What works can I do? What kind of therapy can I go through? And Deck after deck, uh, there's 500 of these things. Maybe I'll try hypnosis. Well, that didn't work. Maybe I'll try this and this didn't work. And you're just going up and down decks. uh, Well, and they're all offering. Here, come in here. This will solve your problem. We don't know what causes it. We can't cure it, but this might help you cope. One room after the other on all the decks. Uh, This is the world's offering. And every one of them is going to say, this is the way. And there's a lot of anecdotal. It worked for me. I remember reading uh, a book that came out on called The Sober Truth. It's written by a psychiatrist and his son who studied uh, the whole 12-step program. Um, I want to say it was like 20 some years, studied the 12-step program. And this is a psychiatrist. He's not a Christian. And he said, after all his research, 20-some years, he said, none of the steps work. There's nothing about the 12 steps that work. Matter of fact, he says, um, the the stats on success, even using the 12 steps, is very misleading. He said, the only thing that helps has nothing to do with the steps. It's just that someone else knows that you struggle with an issue and they care. And he said, you can find that at a bar. Um, and you're going, he calls it The Sober Truth. Uh, it's a book on on Amazon. Just, it's, 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 but these are, you know, how many things people are going to and through. It is like one deck on the other. And here's the what begins to happen. The Lord knows... Uh, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the, the end thereof is death. Um, what happens is people just, this isn't working, we're sinking, right? The water level, go up a deck. Go up a deck. And so that's what they'll do. They keep going up a deck. Maybe at the very top deck is CBT, right? Cognitive behavioral therapy. Well, this is helping them uh, the most. I feel a lot better. You can rearrange the chairs on the on the first deck, uh, but it's all going down. This world, it's 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 the way that uh, the enemy of God, Satan, is through all of the philosophies and ideologies to try to distract people away from God, to suppress the truth about God and unrighteousness. He's trying to here. Here's another way: just don't look towards Jesus. And we know what happened to the Titanic. And and as long as we're alive, there's hope right, for us. As long as people who are unsaved, people who don't know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, as long as they are alive, there's hope. But once you go through the threshold of death, you can't come back. So all those offerings of all the different therapies, And some work better than others. Some you're not underwater. Maybe you're breathing better. Cognitive behavioral therapy is at least saying your thoughts have something to do with you and your behavior has something to do with the way you're feeling. That's true. But they get it wrong. They miss the heart. They miss God's truth. Like Sigmund Freud. There's something inside of you that seems to be motivating you. It's called the heart. Every false teaching, you'll usually find something right in it. That's, that, that kind of is the, the bait. There's something right about it. When I look at all of the different false theories, th- there's something, yeah, like family systems. Family systems, your your upbringing, nurture has influenced you. That's right, it has. But there's a solution to dealing dealing with all the issues that you grew up in. But they're going to say, oh no no, you're determined by your family. But every one of them. You'll usually find something. Um, Satan is a master at deception. So you have man's helpless condition left to ourselves. Uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 3. This is the state of, uh, has been of every one of us at one time, but it may be the state of where you're at right now. But this is a description. The Lord's saying this is what it's like if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ in uh, believing in him and following him. In Titus 3, 3, it says... For, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. That's addictions. The word describing addictions. Passing our days in malice. Let's don't like people. I want them to suffer, to hurt, envy, hated by others. And hating one another. Well, that describes sort of human mankind. And you're not going to fix it by nature and nurture. You're not going to fix it on all of the decks and the various uh, ideologies, philosophies, and therapies. You're not going to fix it because it's it's inside man. It's the heart. But God provides the cure. In our helpless state, he provides the cure. Now, it won't be in this session. Next, after lunch, I just want to kind of walk through. Here's the cure. It's the the cure for the greatest concern we should have, but it is also the cure for everyday concerns and worries. So God offers us a cure for our eternal concern. He offers the, the cure for our everyday concerns. That, that we don't have to go into worry, and he does that by providing salvation. And again, I'll kind of walk through that um, after lunch. He provides for the everyday living, uh, following God, and we still have concerns. We're still tempted to go into worry. Nope, he provides a solution there on how to grow in our sanctification and our Following him. And guess what? If you trust and you're following the Lord Jesus Christ, there's coming a day when you will have no more concerns. Do you realize that? All the concerns will be gone. It's hard to even imagine. There'll be no problems, no worries no health issues, no tears, no sorrow. You'll be with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, the Holy Spirit, all of those who have believed and followed Jesus Christ, the holy angels. And there's coming a day. And it looks like it's ramping up, coming close. Um, all the concerns. You'll go through all eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven with out one day for the rest of eternity with one concern there just won't be any Um, what a what a day to look forward to so god you know i mean jesus said he's the physician he came to the sick who need help he didn't come for the well he came for those who are struggling and that's us we're poor and needy we struggle and I just read to you this is boy that was that was life for me until I was age eighteen, i was I was struggling that was I was disobedient, I was disobedient to my parents, I was angry, I hated certain people, certain people hated me. I mean when it reads I was enslaved to various uh addictions, even in my own life at age eighteen. there were certain things that I was just enslaved to. Uh, I was envious. That we all at one time were that. But God provides a remedy. So after lunch, I want to kind of go into that and then show practically, well, how do you fix the eternal issue, concern? And then the temporal things For, for God's children who follow Christ. How can we deal with that? And you know what? There will be a day when the Lord will take care. It's his responsibility. He'll take care of the the no concerns anymore. He either calls us home or his soon return. And uh, we look forward to that. So I want to just close in prayer. Um, and we will, uh, I guess I made up a little time on that one. Um, but let me uh, close in prayer. And then I, I don't, uh, Terry, you want to dismiss for lunch? Okay, let me pray. Father, thank you for... Uh, this time, um, what a comfort it is to read your word. And you address the, what's going on in the world. You address what's going on in our own hearts. You provide the cure. Uh, we, we are humbled because we don't deserve that good news. We don't deserve uh, to be loved by you. Uh, we have been enemies. Uh, we've been hostile in our minds and hearts. We've been very self-focused. But thank you for loving us and being merciful. Um, and Lord, I just pray that uh, if there's anyone here who is just so overwhelmed and overtaken and and doesn't know uh, the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They just stay continue on listening, that you might uh, do a work that only you can do, and drawing someone to yourself uh, through repentance and faith in Christ. And Lord, for your, your children, those who you have drawn to yourself and who are here and uh, may still be struggling at times with concerns going into worry and fear, Uh, May this be a time, even after lunch, of uh, help and hope and some real practical steps that we can take by the help of your spirit uh, to be more well-pleasing in your eyes and uh, to bring you glory in our lives. Thank you again for this church, uh, for all of those people that are serving, the men and women who are serving, uh, who are loving us, Uh, With the love of Christ, uh, thank you for all that you've done for us. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And uh, help us not to be ungrateful in any way. And we thank you for this meal. We thank you for the bodies that we can even, the help that we can even be here today. Uh, There are many who are laid up in different places that can't attend a conference. Maybe they're uh, viewing it online. But we just thank you for the health. We pray that we would be just good, faithful stewards of the body that you've entrusted us with uh, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.